Good morning again. Not sure if I uh, introduced myself earlier. Reese Nealon, minister of the gospel here in the uh, Lifeway Glendale Church. And uh, great to have you today. We mentioned earlier, I believe, that today we have our uh, monthly newcomers gathering, newcomers reception. If you're uh, visiting, you're not yet a member of the church, you are cordially invited even encouraged to join us for a, uh, some refreshments, got some food and some uh, beverages for you over in the fellowship hall across the way immediately after the service is over. Now, you need to go there right away because if you don't, some people may get there before you and eat all the food. I'm just saying you have to be concerned about that. Uh, we didn't know exactly how many to plan for, but we have uh, food and beverages there. Hopefully, it'll be enough for everybody. And so uh, please come on over. Uh, the person who invited you is welcome to join you as well. It's a time for Mary Kay and I, my wife Mary Kay, to get to know you and uh, help to introduce you to the church as well. Uh, very, uh, very excited today. We've been uh, studying Nehemiah. If you have an Old Testament, you have a Bible, please turn over there. I believe that as we go through here, the, uh, the scriptures are going to be put on the screen Behind me, is that right? You know, Dave, you didn't say that as confidently as I wanted you to. That's right, okay. Now, I learned something. You know, I am a, um, first of all, uh, I, I'm a redneck. And uh, if you don't know me, it's probably obvious already, but uh, that's who I am. I grew up in the, uh, the great state of Tennessee uh, where we walked uh Barefoot to school every day and such. But anyway, gradually I'm uh, becoming, you know, more uh, more tech savvy. And uh, just an advance, an example of uh, the progress that I'm making. I just found out today, Rob, I don't know if you knew this or not, that whatever they put on the screen shows up on this screen down here. So instead of having to turn around or to ask you if it's up there. I found out today, remember this next time you speak, thank you for preaching last week, by the way, it's right here. How can I trust? Well, I'm working on that. Uh, so right now, there's nothing up there. Somebody lied to me. Does that, <laughs> that does not, thank you, Rob. I know you're I know you're here to help me. We've been uh, talking about Nehemiah and I'll give you a little bit of background, even if you've never read Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's actually not one of the more well-known stories of the Bible, even though a lot of us here are very serious about our Bibles. And so we're familiar with Nehemiah. And I love that about our church. We we are people who believe in the word of God and we study it and we try to follow it and such. One of the things we've been doing is uh, Nehemiah had this vision, this dream, and I've been encouraging everybody to have uh, a dreams and vision of their own life for their own life. And please, uh, a lot of you have sent in your your dream pages and wanted to share them with me. And please keep doing that if you would like to. I appreciate it. It's very encouraging to see that. I do have something to uh, that I should share that I'm concerned about this morning. I. Um, I have my notes here. Can you guys all see this? Yeah. yeah. 
So you already know what the sermon's about because you can see that. But uh, as I when I finished my put the final touches on my preparation this morning, I spilled coffee on my notes. I don't know if you can see that, but the whole bottom part here is brown. And uh, that's scary. Because already, I, you know, a lot of you know this already. I when I speak, I only put my notes on the front of one sheet of paper. Which is scary because that means that most of what I'm going to say up here, I had no idea I was going to say it until I said it. Uh, The other part of it is that now that I have spilled coffee on my paper, there's a chance that I might not even be able to see the things that I have written down. So uh, please pray for that. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, Nehemiah chapter two. Brief background. Nehemiah was a Jewish fellow and uh, he had actually... As our story begins, he is a servant in the uh, the house of the king of Persia. Uh, he's a uh, the royal butler, as it were. And uh, his people, the Jewish people, were conquered first by the Babylonians. 140 years before this, the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of uh, the Jewish people, of course, the walls had been destroyed, the temple as well, and this was 140 years before. And now Nehemiah is uh, in Persia, and he gets this dream, this vision, that perhaps he could go back to the uh, the holy city of Jerusalem and really help the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so that's the story we're into. Uh, be going into chapter three today. Uh, again, Rob, thank you for last week. Let's. Uh, Let's begin where we picked up or where we ended last week in chapter two, verse 17. This is Nehemiah now. He's gotten to Jerusalem and God has worked powerfully and God is arranging everything. And he had a a military escort over the 800 mile trip from Persia to Jerusalem. And he's got all this lumber and wood that the king has supplied. And he has this idea that, okay, now we have the materials, but. He hasn't yet mentioned to the people who would be doing the work, his dream and his idea that they would rebuild the uh, the walls of Jerusalem. So this is his words to them. And I'm sure this is just a summary of what he said to them in verse 17. Then I said to them, this is Nehemiah to the people in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began a good work. In many ways, these three verses are sort of the. The focal point of the entire story of Nehemiah, because here he presents his vision and here the people embrace that vision. And so they begin this uh, this great work. I think uh, to remind you what Rob said, if you weren't here last week, last week, that the first thing that Nehemiah does is he challenges the people to make a serious inspection of the condition of the lives that they're living These walls have been down for 140 years, yet nobody seemed to be urgent to do anything about that. And it seems clear that they had become numb to it, that they had accepted that. 
And so I think the lesson for us is, if we're going to be everything that God wants us to be, individually, if we're going to be everything that we need to be as a church, there are times where we need to do some serious inspection. We need to be able to look at our lives. We'll be able to look at our ministry. And sometimes what we see is not what we're going to want to see. But we need to see things because there then is the opportunity for God to work. There then, as Nehemiah points out, God's power, God's help, things can change. They don't have to be that way. It may be harsh to say, but some of us today, no doubt our lives are in disgrace. Whether we want to admit that or not, whether we want to verbalize that, maybe even we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that other people don't think that. That may be the reality. But wherever you are today, the power of God is there. The will of God is there for you to rise up, for you to rebuild the walls of your life. Are you with me there? That's the lesson of uh, Nehemiah there. Now, this is something new, perhaps, to consider. I don't know if you've thought about it. If you know the story, why did Nehemiah so much emphasize and start with the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem? Why did he start there? Because if you know the story, actually, the fact that the walls were down was sort of the least of their problems. They were in a very bad way spiritually. Many of them had left God. They were either no longer functioning in a real way as God's people, or they had compromised their faith in a serious way. And in fact, what we find, spoiler alert, the walls get rebuilt in 52 days. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome, huh? Down for 140 years, up in 52 days. But Nehemiah, so that all happens quickly. Nehemiah spends 12 more years trying to resurrect them in their faith. And where they are spiritually. And we'll read that as we go on there. So why did he start with the walls? You know, uh, he doesn't really say... But uh, here's my, here would be my opinion on that for you to consider. Is that sometimes when you've got a monumental task ahead of you, it's good to take one thing and start with what perhaps is the easiest thing and fix that first. And then that gives you maybe the encouragement and faith you need to take the next steps after that. Does that make sense? That's the way it works. And I'm not saying this was a small task. To rebuild the walls. But perhaps it was smaller and less important in the big task of where they were at spiritually and what they need to do. Does that make sense to you? It's a lot like, i tell you how it works for me. It's a lot like the recent decision I made to lose weight and get in shape. Now, I know this probably shocks you, but that's not the first time in my life I've ever made that decision. It's only the latest time. And uh, I've been doing pretty good. We're two months into the year, and uh, I've lost some weight, and I'm getting in better shape. Thank you for noticing. Actually, none of you have noticed. You're evil people. But, you know, that, that helps me because that just tells me how much further I've got to go. 
And that is a funny thing about it. Sometimes you start down that journey of uh, losing weight, getting in shape, and, you know, you make what you ought to be progress, but doesn't look like progress. And then you realize perhaps you're worse off than you thought you were. But anyway, so that's where I am today. Pray for me. But the good thing about losing weight and getting in shape, there's a lot of good things about it. I think, first of all, our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, so it pleases God. I think we have more energy. Uh, we uh, feel better. And maybe as importantly, we feel better about ourselves. Uh, we start to believe that we could set our mind to do something and perhaps I could start here. And I always find that when I'm in that way and I'm doing well, then I start to believe and notice other things in my character, other things in my life that I could change and that I need to change and believe that I can change. And so it just sort of has a, a positive effect there, doesn't it? You know, the walls were important to cities in those days because, you know, the walls provided your protection against enemies and wild animals and big insects. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I made that last one up. Um, But, you know, there doesn't appear. This is why I want us to put in perspective. There doesn't appear in this story there was any imminent threat from outside. There was no army outside Jerusalem. There was no imminent threat. They had been living comfortably and seemingly reasonably safe for decades now. But that wall, if you can imagine being Jerusalem at that time, that wall going up after 140 years would have been a physical and obvious testimony to what God was doing and what God could do. Are you following me there? So I think that's the uh, story. So we're going to pick up there and uh, we're going to do chapter three today. You may not believe it, but we're going to do all of chapter three. Yeah. Okay. well, maybe there'll be part two next week. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. It's a shortened service and all. But let's stop before we read and. Don't read ahead if you haven't read it. Some of you know the story already. But so you're Nehemiah. You have this vision. You have the supplies there. The dream has been put out there. And all the people, you know, what an answer to prayer. They go, yes, yes, let's let's rebuild. So if you're Nehemiah, how are you going to do that? What's your plan? How are you going to make it happen? What a overwhelming task. And so it's going to help to be uh, organized and to have a plan and how to do it. And we're going to see Nehemiah's plan in just a moment. It's uh, it's important because it's the same way in the church. The needs that we have just among the members of this church can be overwhelming. You know what I'm saying? If not, you should do a walk a mile in my shoes. In an audience just this size, just imagine how many marriages are either in serious trouble or need help. How many families, parents, children are in serious trouble or need help? How many of us have 
sin in our lives, temptations in our lives, character flaws that we know we need to change and we want to change. And it can be overwhelming. How many of us have financial issues? Job and career challenges. Health challenges. Now, all of you should be depressed by now. Okay, because, okay, this is Lifeway Church. This is real life, God's way. This is what's going on here, and I don't even know all the specifics, of course. I don't even necessarily want to know all the specifics. But I do know this, there's an overwhelming amount of needs here. We have our own wall to build, to build, to rebuild in our church. And the list could go on. What's our plan going to do? What's our plan going to be? How are we going to meet those needs? Well, let's read in Nehemiah 3 and we'll get the answer if you don't already know it. Nehemiah 3 and... Nehemiah 3 is 32 verses. We're only going to read the first paragraph and the last paragraph. If you've read Nehemiah 3, then you know why. It's full of a lot of names that I cannot pronounce. That's a lot of words. It is a lot of words. I don't think we need to necessarily read any more than the first paragraph and the last paragraph. By the way, this is, a, this is an old preacher's trick. That when you come on these names in the Old Testament, and the truth is, I have no idea how to pronounce those correctly. Did you guys know that? But the trick is to pronounce them and pronounce them confidently. (laughs) And then hopefully you'll assume that I actually know what I'm saying. But I'm sure that almost always they're wrong. But anyway... um, you should write that down, Rob, next time. Next time you do it. It's important. Just just say it. Say it confidently. So I'll do it for a paragraph at the beginning and a paragraph at the end. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheet gate. They dedicated it, set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. And then it goes, etc., 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 etc. And then you get to the last paragraph, verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Emmer, made repairs, opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah. Son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate. You see that confidence? See it? Watch me now. Watch me now. Sorry. Sorry, I got distracted. Where was I? Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate. Made repairs. Next to them, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zaliah, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshullam, son of Bechariah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkajai, one of the goldsmiths, 
made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Amen. The power of God at work, ladies and gentlemen. Now, here's what you need to notice that in between, it's just a lot of the same. Okay, a lot of you know that already. Some important things to notice, though. They started with the sheep gates. The first paragraph, the sheep gate, there were 10 gates in uh, the wall of Jerusalem that was being rebuilt. And the gates, of course, were the places that people came in and out of the city uh, through the and the walls were built to uh, connect the adjoining walls. They started with the sheep gate, which is in the northeast corner of Jerusalem. Going counterclockwise, as Nehemiah describes it, they go all the way around the city. And where do they end up? Right there in chapter, the last verse of the chapter, back of the sheep gate. Every part of the wall was rebuilt. There were ten gates. If you go through the text, I counted them. There are 42 different sections of the wall that it mentions were built. And each of these sections were built by a small group of people who were working together to build their part of the wall. I already mentioned there's dozens of names that I can't pronounce. Uh, there's a very diverse group of people that are involved here. There's priests, there's temple servants, there's uh, goldsmiths. Even mentions in there, they're perfume makers. It's important to get the perfume makers going. Right? I mean, every it's good to know. I mean, I sometimes think, I don't know if I would have wanted to live during that time. You know, I mean, no, uh, no running water, no showers. Right? But it really helps if you know there were perfume makers. So anyway, um, so there's different kinds of people. There's... Merchants, there's rulers, there's a lot of families that are mentioned. Very diverse group. They're all working together. There's some people, as you go through the chapter, there's some people who are working on the section of the wall right next to their house. And that makes sense, right? But it wasn't just them. It wasn't just the people that lived near the wall that were doing the work. It was everybody in Jerusalem and people from the surrounding towns. Right there in the beginning, it says in chapter 3, that uh, the men of Jericho built one of the sections. So there were several cities around where people came in to help out. So it's a very diverse group of people. And it's just so interesting to me that you get all this detail, right, about the names and the people and the gates and all that. And uh, at first glance, you might ask, why... Why all the detail? It seems like maybe it's, it, I don't know, a lot of you are, love the Bible, so this is real life God's way, right? So if you're like me and you've spent some time studying the Bible, now I want you to be honest for a moment. You're reading through the Bible. Have you ever read sections of the Bible and maybe you're like me and you believe that it's inspired by God and you men wrote it, but God arranged, you know, made sure it was all in there and... You ask yourself, why is that in the Bible? 
Can we be honest for a moment? This seems like that might be one of those sections. Like, is it really necessary? You know, like Leviticus. Was that really necessary? You know, like Psalms. I mean, Psalms, I, there's a, I love Psalms. I, don't get me wrong. I know I got, some people are growling at me. I, I get it. But I love Psalms, but the problem I have is there's 150 of them. After a while, they all sound alike. It's just me. Revelation. The last book of the Bible. Cosmic imagery and what, you know, and all that. And what is this thing? And how about genealogies? You know, in my arrogance, sometimes I think, you know, God, you should check with me because I would have left some of these people, some of this stuff out. Not sure it was necessary. But, you know, probably you're like me. Sometimes it takes me a while, but after a while, I start to figure out why it's important that these things are in there. And I think in this situation, what it does, through all the repetitiveness and the numbing detail and all the different names and all the diverse people that were working on this wall, it paints a picture of what the church should be like today. And it paints a picture, a beautiful picture A fascinating picture of what's possible when God's people working together in small groups and when they do what they they do their part and they work together, what together as a church, perhaps we can do when everybody's doing their part. Here's the main point for today, and we will do part two next week. The work of the church is done in small groups. Just like the wall was built and done by people working together in small groups. So the church today is the work of the church is done in small groups. The title of the lesson, part one, small groups that work. Now, if you're new to the church here, it's important probably that I let you know. We are not a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. Do you see the difference? We define what it means, our our membership, by whether or not you're an active, committed part of a small group or not. We meet together on Sundays. Occasionally we meet together on a Wednesday. But most of the work of this church is done in small groups. That's where the magic happens. And when we take it that way, what could be... I mentioned earlier, if I went through this audience and asked everyone here to share just two or three of the needs you have in your life... We wouldn't even be off the third row over here before all of us would be overwhelmed. But you see what happened there? Nehemiah, I believe, according to the wisdom of God, took an overwhelming 
large task and he broke it down into bite-sized chunks, as it were. And that's what the small groups do in the church. Our small groups meet weekly. The small groups are where we develop close relationships. We invest in each other. That's where we learn to love each other and learn to trust each other and become a safe place where we can share our lives and we can be real and we can talk about sin and we can talk about temptation and we can get help from each other. That's what happens in small groups when we invest in each other. That's where we find help almost always for our marriages and our families and our finances and our character and all those other things that we mentioned earlier. The small group is where souls are saved. And almost always when somebody comes into our church and begins to consider following Jesus and begins to get serious about that, it's not just one person that's helping them or two people that are helping. It's a whole small group that's working together to help people find salvation in the kingdom of God. We are better together than we are apart. When we're working together, we can do so much more than we can just by our own individual efforts. We're going to stop there for today. And we're going to rebuild this uh, this wall here of small groups. And uh, we're going to work on that. We're going to start and continue on that next week. What I want you to do, perhaps just in the next week, is if you're a member of this church and you're a member of a small group already... I want you to ask yourself a question. What can you do to make your small group better than it is right now? What can you do to help your small group to be more effective than it is right now? Because the truth is, the wall of the Lifeway Glendale Church is only going to build and grow or be rebuilt to the extent that every small group is functioning and every small group is working together and maximizing their efforts to build their part of the wall. The beauty of this story here is that Nehemiah, that is everybody did their part. All the small groups, all 42 of them did their part. So I want you to just consider what can you do? If you're a member of the church here, what can you do? To make your small group even more effective. And if you're new to the church here, one of the best pieces of advice I can give you is get involved in a small group. You don't have to be a member to be a part of a small group. Get involved. Figure it out. See what you can do. It'll be a joy. It'll be a blessing. It'll be a place where you can change and be transformed. And uh, let's do that together. Let's... uh, Let's have a prayer together. We'll be dismissed for today. God, we are thankful for the wisdom of the plan of Nehemiah, which is really your plan. It was in your plan in the Old Testament. It was your plan in the New Testament. I believe small groups are your plan today. Uh, Help our small groups to be powerful and effective and life-changing for uh, us as individuals and us as a church here. And uh, help us to have this vision And to see the kind of victory and success, evidence of your power that Nehemiah saw and the people saw in his time. We pray in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Okay, newcomer's reception, right over there.